When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring your different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I am in conversation with Dylan Spilko and Sam Ostry from our SB Nation sister site covering all things Maryland Terrapins, Testudo Times. Dylan, Sam, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having us. Yeah, very happy to be on. So obviously, Ohio State and Maryland uh, will play a game on Saturday at noon in Columbus. Um, but before we get to that, I, I have to ask, how excited are Maryland fans to not have any more Friday night games? Because the two Friday night games they've had so far this year have been a little hairy uh, in a couple different ways. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of excitement going into this game, but, you know, Maryland suffered that loss on Friday night. You know, you, know, you mentioned it before, definitely happy for the Maryland program to be done with those Friday night games for the rest of the season. But yeah. you know, Maryland suffers the 51-14 loss to Iowa, and that kind of puts a little bit, you know, of a knife in the heart of this Maryland program for the time being. Uh, Maryland has been a team that kind of struggles to bounce back, but there's definitely still a lot of positive energy surrounding this program. They did get off to their best start since uh, 2016, starting 4-0. So I think this is just another challenge for this team. And it's, you know, number seven, Ohio State. It's just another difficult Big Ten matchup that Maryland is going to have to do. And there's, you know, there's a lot of excitement around it. Sam, obviously, I think a lot of people who watched that game saw all the turnovers that happened, and they were kind of uh, a little surprising because Maryland hadn't turned the ball over a ton in the previous four games. Was that really what the game boiled down to, or was that a byproduct of some other issue that we saw in the Terps uh, against Iowa last Friday night? Yeah, so I think it was a combination of a few things. I mean, first, Talia had been praised all year through the through, through those first four games yeah. for limiting his, his interceptions and not throwing as many turnovers as he did last year. And then you have that one game where he comes in against um, where he comes in against Iowa and just a great suffocating Iowa defense. He was a little rattled. But I think the other thing about it was that his number one target, Dante Demas, he right. went down in that beginning of that second quarter. And from there, it seemed like it all fell apart. I mean, Dante Demas is easily Talia's number one target. He's a safety blanket for him when he's out of options. I mean, they have an unbelievable connection or they had an unbelievable connection through those first four games this year. So when he went down, it felt that he just felt a little rattled and it all went south from there. 
Now, obviously, we learned this week that unfortunately Dante is going to be out for the rest of the season, but he's not the only wide receiver uh, with a, a lot of talent on the Maryland team. You still have Rakeem Jarrett, who is kind of like the number two, and then Ja'Shawn Jones um, is is fairly close behind and might actually have um, just about as good a numbers on a per-catch average. Do you see one of those guys becoming that safety blanket, Dylan, if, if Dante is out, is is it one of those two receivers? Is there a uh, a tight end or running back out of the backfield who you think Tulia will go to when he needs to get rid of the ball in a hurry? You know, it's so hard to pinpoint who exactly is going to replace the production of Dante Demas because Demas was an absolute star for Maryland. 507 yards through five games, even with the injury against Iowa, he still managed to uh, get 60 yards before going down with the injury. So through five games, he averaged over 100 yards per game. That's a lot of yards for these Maryland wide receivers to replace. And I think it's going to have to come from some of those depth guys uh, in the passing game. You mentioned Jay Sean Jones. Rockham Jarrett's certainly going to have to take a larger number one role. But then you look at guys like Daryl Jones and Brian Cobbs, who bring a lot of experience to this wide receiver core. And then, you know, there's other positions like Tayon Fleet-Davis, uh, running back, who's had a bunch mm-hmm. of catches this season. He's really exhibited what he can do out of the backfield in the passing game. He's a very shifty guy, and he has a tendency to get open, and Talia started to look for him. And then in the tight end group, Maryland's starting with the two featured tight ends, Chigazim Okonkwo and Corey Deitches. They, have been, they actually had one of the better games against Iowa, considering how Maryland collapsed in that contest. But, I mean, it's going to take a full offensive effort to to replace what Dante did for this team as a whole. And obviously, it goes without saying that Tungavaloa can't have six interceptions in a game uh, if you want to win. Like like you said, Sam, at the beginning, he had not been turning the ball over uh, in this season coming into the Iowa game. Was was it just that – the Hawkeyes are one of, if not the best defenses in the country. Um, was there something that they specifically did that kind of threw him off? Was it a specific scheme or blitzes or anything that really rattled him to the point where he was turning the ball over um, far more than he had in the previous four games? It really just seemed like his receivers were covered more than they had been before. I mean, <laughs> That'll do it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the best secondary maybe in the country, definitely one of the best defenses in the country. He hadn't faced defense in his entire career, let alone this season, that prolific. And so, I mean, when you think about it, it's really just like when his receivers aren't as covered, are more covered than he is used to, he's forcing throws and he forced a bunch of throws. And he talked about it like after, or he talked, he didn't speak after the game, but he talked about this week. He went to the film right after that game was over and he just, he didn't, didn't say they were doing anything too differently from a schematic standpoint that he hadn't seen before. They're just elite level playmakers all over the field that he hadn't seen all season. Yeah. Did anybody from Maryland, either, either him or anyone from the coaching staff or offensive coordinator, anybody talk about any changes that they would be making to how they dealt with that kind of defensive coverage moving forward. Uh, High state does not have nearly the defense that, that Iowa does, but were there any hints at what might uh, there, if there'd be any adjustments coming into, uh, into this game? You know, it, it's tough to tell because Loxley said during uh during media that, you know, some of the blame falls on him for how, uh, how the calls were played and, you know, how Maryland kind of relied on that passing game. And Talia also said as to how his decision-making was kind of, it kind of fell apart against Iowa. And so I really don't think that they haven't really said specifically about any changes 
But something that I think Maryland is going to try to enforce more, and we were talking about this earlier on our podcast, is that Maryland needs to go back to the run game even when they're down. Because the run game has been surprisingly a very big factor for this team. So I, it really wouldn't be too shocking to see Teon Fleet Davis get more than the three carries than he did in the loss to Iowa, because obviously that game fell apart for Maryland. But if there were any changes, I think that there's definitely going to be a few more run attempts to see if Maryland can control some of the possession. Now, if we flip to the other side of the field, Ohio State comes in to this matchup as the uh, number one offense in the country in terms of total yards and yards per play. And Maryland, while not a great defense, has been fairly solid middle of the pack, Big Ten, uh, middle of the pack in the Big Ten defense this season and basically every metric, give or take. Um, on that side of the ball, if there was a player or two that quarterback C.J. Stroud needed to look out for, whether that was in the run game or the pass game, who should he be keying on to try to avoid and get the ball to somewhere else on the field? Yeah, so I mean, with the defensive side of the ball for Maryland, it starts with their secondary, and that really starts with Tarheeb Still. He's been terrific. He, he's a sophomore in his freshman year. He, had, he averaged, uh, he led the nation in pass breakups per game which was obviously terrific for a freshman coming in. He's had a great year so far this season as a quarterback. And just the secondary as whole. I mean, they have Nick Cross, Jordan Mosley. Those guys are hard hitters. They've been really good this season, and that defense relies on secondary. Against Iowa, they took a step back against, against a quarterback that really hadn't played that well in, in Spencer Petras all season. And he, But he had a terrific game against Maryland, which was somewhat surprising because they're usually a run-heavy offense. But obviously, Ohio State's offense is clicking. CJ Stroud is having he had a great performance last week. He's having a good season. And so it's going to be difficult for Maryland's defense and those guys to uh, contain him. But it really starts with their secondary, and that starts with Tarheeb Still, Nick Cross, and uh, Jordan Mosley. On, in terms of the running game, uh, Ohio State freshman running back Trevion Henderson has become increasingly a focal point in this offense. And had he not gotten a little banged up in the Rutgers game last weekend while they were already up two, three touchdowns, he probably would have even been more of a factor in that game too. On the rush defense side of the ball for uh, for for Maryland, Dylan, who how do they attack the running game? Is it uh, is it is it mainly from the front? Is it the linebackers? What should Ohio State fans be looking for in terms of what they can see from Maryland uh, trying to stop Travion Henderson? Through five games this season, I'd say that Maryland's defensive line is definitely an underrated aspect of this team in general. You have two big guys, Mosiah Nasili Kite and uh, Sam Okuwanu, who are really dominant forces on the inside for Maryland to try to clog up the running game. But uh, Sam Okuwanu, you know, he's a super senior and he's been a really great force for Maryland on the inside. He's leading the team in sacks. He's definitely a guy to look out for to kind of clog up that middle. But I'd say it's more of a collective effort to stop the run game between the defensive line and the linebackers. But a big factor for Maryland is freshman linebacker Brandon Jennings, who's likely to be a game-time decision. He's mm -hmm. near the top of the team in total tackles. He's been a really big factor for the team on defense. And it's going to be a, a really big storyline to watch to see if he plays or not, because that determines a lot of how Maryland will play on defense. Obviously, Maryland played Iowa last week, and they have Ohio State um, this weekend. Then they have um, 
and an out of the Western Division game against uh, Minnesota after the off week. And then they wrap it up with five straight games in the Big Ten East. I think surprisingly for a lot of us, the Big Ten East looks like it very well might be the toughest division uh, in all of college football, at least right now from top to bottom. How are Maryland fans feeling about heading into this gauntlet of a stretch um, with the rest of this division looking as tough as it is, especially after a a tough loss, uh, but especially with those first four games? Is everyone still optimistic? Are they still excited about the season or, or is it uh, or did that put a damper on what the expectations might be moving forward? Yeah, honestly, I would say they're not too optimistic right now after that Friday night debacle. But I mean, I think you're absolutely right. This is the best sub. This is the best division in college football in the Big Ten East. And Maryland is Maryland plays five currently ranked opponents throughout the year. Iowa was up first, and they have four moving forward. Maryland is zero and twenty four against ranked opponents since they moved into the Big Ten. They do they do not have a good record. Not have a good track record, excuse me, against Big Ten ranked opponents, 0-24. Right. So they do not have a good track record against those Big Ten opponents, and it's going to be very difficult. People aren't incredibly optimistic right now about the next few games, but if they get to that six-win benchmark, which makes you bowl eligible, I think it would be a successful season for Maryland. They haven't been there in years. 4-0, which is what they started the season, is their best start since 2016, and there are winnable games. I mean, no one expects them, yeah. or few people expect, expect them to beat Ohio State this weekend, beat Penn State, or um, Michigan down the road, maybe even not Michigan State. But Indiana, people look at as a winnable game. Indiana's not having a great season. Maybe Minnesota, who Maryland was able to knock off in overtime thriller last year. And then Rutgers at, at to finish their season. So, I mean, there's there's chances for more wins the rest of the way, but people aren't expecting all, all flowers like it was in, the, in those first four games. Yeah, the, obviously the out-of-conference schedule um, helps uh, most teams uh, get off to a really good start when you're in a Power 5 conference. But mm-hmm. how, do, how do you spin that forward um, beyond this season, Dylan, for – Mike Loxley and the future of the program. How are people feeling about what he's been able to do in a few years um, with the Terps and, and what the expectations and the ceiling might be for him at the helm of the team in the future? It's very, it's very 50, 50 with how the, the opinion of what Michael Loxley has done since the 2019 season here in Maryland, you know, it was only 2019 was his first year. It hasn't really been that long. He hasn't had that much time to restructure this Maryland program. But what he has done is, you know, Maryland has a ton of, uh, of you know, pro- not prospects, young players, freshmen that are coming in in different recruiting classes. He's done a great job recruiting, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And that's really where it has started for Mike Loxley's tenure. But right now, I mean, the difference in the Iowa game is that you really wanted to see growth in that Maryland wouldn't lose by how many they did end up losing by. They lost uh, 51 to 14, certainly a blowout. And just by looking at that from the naked eye, I mean, it's if you're just a casual fan, you think that Maryland's not making strides, but they are off to their best start since 2016. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag with Mike Loxley so far, but it's, you know, the, this, this program is certainly looking up and it has taken a lot of positive strides. Yeah, that score against Iowa is really it, it's it, it really hides the fact that when you have seven turnovers, that's not a repeatable thing. And like that's people always talk about turnover luck, despite whatever flaws that an offense generally has in terms of coughing up the ball. 
you can't expect to give up seven turnovers maybe for another decade in a game. So you almost have to like look at that game and be like, yeah, it was just one of those games and, and throw it out. But um, that's interesting about the the young talent, because I think Ohio State, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is a team that's being led by um, by young players as well, which is not something that Ohio State fans are used to, uh, given how they, they tend to recruit. But after a couple of bad recruiting classes that didn't pan out, um, that's the type of thing that uh, Ohio State is kind of clinging to on the defensive side of the ball from the Maryland perspective, as you look at a defense that is athletic, but not super great yet for Ohio State, how do you guys anticipate that the Terps and Tungavailoa will attack this young and still fairly porous Ohio State defense? Yeah, I think Dylan talked about earlier, I think they're going to try to establish that run pass game more. I mean, they clearly, obviously, Townfleet Davis is number one back, only rushed the ball three times, and maybe they just uh, against Iowa, and maybe that's just how the game flow went. But I think they're going to try to establish that running game early, and then look for Talia to make plays later on. Because when you because that's really how you limit those turnovers for Talia. If you're having him make big plays and putting the ball in his hands every single time and make those decisions, he has more chance of turning the ball over. So I think they're really they want him to succeed, and I think the best, obviously, and the best way for him to succeed in those games against good defenses is to really establish a running game or at least attempt to, and then let him make plays off of that because he is also a runner. I mean, he's capable of both running, both both being a run pass option and they do those RPOs sometimes Maryland's offense. So I think that's really what what they're going to look to do is establish the run early against Ohio state and then let Talia get comfortable, find his footing and then let him make the plays with his receivers. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a smart thing to do, and I think it's something that Ohio State, with also a, a a young quarterback, might look to do in the future as well uh, to get C.J. Stroud a little bit more comfortable as the uh, full-time starter. Uh, but to wrap up, guys, uh, I, I don't know if you do this normally, but are you willing to throw out a score prediction for uh, for this game on Saturday? Oh, we throw we throw out score predictions okay. quite often, and uh, we are we are not correct with them and most of the time but we, we love giving our best effort with score predictions all right bring it uh, uh i think i'll go with 45 to 17 ohio state interesting you have that 45 number i think it's i think this maryland is gonna this is a huge test for them but they're gonna show that they are competing after a tough loss because after tough losses in the past they've completely fallen apart and their season has i think they really want to change that narrative loxley and this coaching staff really wants to Right. Ohio State is clearly the better team, so I think they're going to win. But I do think that Maryland is going to cover the 21. I think it's going to be 45 to uh, 27. That's good. Yeah, I the, the I think a lot of people, at least from the Ohio State perspective, saw these the Rutgers in the Maryland game back to back and thought, oh, these are games against good, solid Big Ten teams, maybe not yet at the echelon of the other teams in the East, but solid teams, but they're solid for very different reasons. Uh, Obviously, Rutgers has minimal offensive firepower, but a fairly stout defense, um, and Maryland has much more uh, production and explosiveness on the offensive side. So I don't expect this to be the type of blowout that the Buckeyes saw against Rutgers last weekend. Um, so I would I would agree that that 21 points is is a stretch for me. Uh, but I would probably go somewhere in the same ballpark as as you guys went um, somewhere in the 
40, 42 to uh, to 27, 24 run as well. I think that's a, a fairly smart score because I think Ohio State, and unless their defense really has turned a complete corner in the last couple of weeks, I think they're going to struggle to uh, to stop some drives from the Terps. So it should make for a very entertaining and, a, and exciting game um, for that. But last question, this is not football related, um, but how do Maryland fans feel about Mark Turgeon? Because Ohio State fans really, really don't like him. Uh, that's that's a great question. I think you couldn't find a more split fan base on a question. I mean, there is a large constituent of people that really want him fired and think he's done a horrible job, especially living up to Gary Williams. There's a bunch of defenders, too, that are saying, look, look, he's like just like last year. He's had teams that maybe shouldn't be as good as they are but he's coached them up and they've had successful seasons. So it's really 50-50. I mean, there's quite a few people who call for his job, but he also has defenders. Yeah, and it's funny because I grew up uh, when I was pretty young with Gary Williams as the Ohio State basketball coach. So when he went to Maryland, I kind of became a de facto Maryland basketball fan when obviously long before they were in the big 10. Um, so I was rooted for Maryland basketball with Gary Williams, just because he was the first Ohio state basketball coach that I ever uh, remember. So uh, it's been interesting to kind of see as Maryland's become a big 10 team. And then Mark Turgeon kind of become a, a villain in the eyes of a lot of Ohio state basketball fans, how uh, a lot of people's opinions about Maryland basketball has changed, but uh, uh, it, always fun. And obviously basketball is, is down the, uh, just down the road by about a month. So that'll be fun to look at. But um, Sam, Dylan, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to do this. Why don't you guys let everybody know where they can find not only you two individually, but also uh, the Studio Times and, uh, and everything you guys are doing and covering the Terps this year. Yeah, sure. You can find our website at testudotimes.com, all of Maryland sports there. And you can find me, Dylan Spilko, on Twitter at, at Dylan Spilko. Keep it simple for you. Yeah, and um, of course, both of our work is on testudotimes.com. Go there all the time. You'll see podcasts, you'll see articles, you'll see everything. And you can follow my work at, um, at Sostry on Twitter, S-O-S-H-T-R-Y. We appreciate you, we appreciate you having us on, man. No, thank you. And of course, if you guys are finding this uh, episode on LandGrantHolyLand.com, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to follow LandGrantHolyLand on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will talk to you soon, and as always, go Bucks.